This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to Travel Writing World, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and about the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, free travel writing resources, and much more at travelwritingworld.com. About every few years, Traveler's Tales publishes the Best Women's Travel Writing Anthology. Joining me today to talk about the Best Women's Travel Writing, Volume 12, is Lavinia Spalding, the series editor since 2011. We talk about the importance and value of reading travel accounts written by women, the art of editing an anthology, getting lost in travel and in writing, and how to submit to the next Best Women's Travel Writing Anthology. And just a correction, the book's publishing date has been pushed back a few weeks. So now, here is Lavinia Spalding. Lavinia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So you are the author of a book. This is how I first heard of you um, from a book standpoint. Um, you're the author of a book called Writing Away, A Creative Guide to Awakening the Journal Writer Traveler, as well as the series editor for the Best Women's Travel Writing Anthology, which sees a new volume published on October 6th, so coming up here, 2020. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this new volume of women's travel writing? Sure, I'd love to. So this is the 12th of the series, and I have edited six of them. And it was definitely a different experience editing it this time for a number of reasons. For one thing, I considered three times as many submissions as usual. It had been a few years since we'd put one out and So um, the submissions had been sort of steadily rolling in. And by the time I looked at the database, uh, there were 1,300 submissions. And I get to choose around 30. Um, So it was a daunting, it was a bit daunting. I I ended up choosing 34. And halfway also, another reason it was interesting is that halfway through the process of considering the stories, we found ourselves in a lockdown, unable to travel. Mm. So that was a little odd. Um, But it's, uh, yeah, so it's got 34 wonderful essays by diverse voices and demographics and lots of different locations and narratives. And I'm excited about it. It does come out in October. So are are there any major themes or um, touch points here uh, in this new volume? Well, I never compile these anthologies with a theme in mind. I just, I just really read and look for essays to fall in love with. Um, I look for excellent writing and stories that keep me interested. But I will say that this time I definitely found myself more drawn than usual to stories of what I would call resilience, for lack of a better word, or survival strength. You know, I I started reading before the lockdown, but even then, I I guess I was feeling that we were already in what I'd call a dark time, Mm. a, a time of reckoning with the ills of our past. And also with their effects on our present. Um, and so I, I was, yeah, I was really drawn this time towards stories that 
had uh, had a bit of disaster in them, um, had some darkness, and had survival ultimately. So and so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so it seems like you know what what we've been going through over the past few months in terms of pandemic and Black Lives Matter, um, and you know this kind of just this greater environmental catastrophe that's ha- you know happening around us it seems like you know those realities in some ways colored you know the way in which you viewed these submissions is that accurate to say yes yes and and some of them interestingly i had already chosen okay uh before or selected before all of this happened and it's interesting reading now and thinking, oh, this, you know, this story talks about a pandemic and, <laughs> and I chose it well before the pandemic happened or, you know, there's, there's a story by a writer named Rahawa Hale that tackles climate change. There's a story by a writer named Alexandria Scott who rose a boat through um, Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge it's off of Maryland's Chesapeake Bay, and that's where Harriet Tubman led so many slaves to liberation. And she is rowing, and meanwhile, she's she's reflecting on the meaning of the old spirituals, and she's reflecting on the strength of her own enslaved ancestors. And it's just, it's such a powerful essay. And so I have those, and I had, yeah, stories of fires, and it was definitely... It's not the the most lighthearted collection <laughs> that I've ever put out, but I think it's a really strong collection. And, you know, it also it it does have to have a balance. So there are lighthearted, uplifting, hilarious stories in there as well. Mm. So it's the, uh, the 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 artistry of being an editor of a volume it sounds like I've never done something like that, but it sounds like you need to. I don't know, taking into consideration this balance that you mentioned and basically tell a story somehow through other people's stories in, in compiling them and ordering them. And there's it seems like there's an art to that. There is. It's a bit like a, it's a bit like Tetris and, <laughs> or, or Jenga or one of those games. You know, you can't have the stories all be heavy and gloomy or right. all be uplifting and funny and you can't have um them all be from paris i i remember when i first started editing the anthology which was i think in 2011 one of the traveler's tales publishers james o'reilly said that i needed to think of it as a mixtape which really worked for me because i you know i made a lot of mixtapes in high school and as everyone knows, we're, you, know, you can't have it all be Jovi. <laughs> so, what was that? I said we're dating ourselves talking about mixtapes. <laughs> mix for sure, for sure. Now it's a playlist. <laughs> I should I should update that. It's just, it's a playlist. Um, so yeah. So I remember one year I had five stories that were about the death of a father and traveling while healing from the death of a father. And I loved all five stories. They were remarkable, but I couldn't, I could only include one. And another year I had, I think seven stories about Mexico that I loved. So 
I do repeat some destinations, but I have to be pretty, as you said, balanced with it because it, it is a, a collection. It's not, you know, it's not a contest, it's a collection. And so of course I'm looking for the best writing, but I'm also looking for an interesting read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The best American travel writing series edited by Jason Wilson comes around um, about the same time and in, in, in a few months, I think. And, and his is um, that series is, is more general. It's not um, just women, but it's you know American. And I'm, I'm curious to know um, if this new volume of uh, that you edited, is this a solely an American endeavor? Are there um, international authors included in this collection? I think it's all Americans. Okay. I mean, they're not all living in America. I have a writer who's living in England and a writer who's living in Spain. Um, but I think they're all American authors this time. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, don't quote me on yeah, that. Okay. So um, I, I, I guess, you know, this is a, something that you refer to uh, in the introduction. You said something to the effect that you can never quite nail the answer to the question, what is women's travel writing and why is it different or special or why is it important? And I don't know. Do you want to take another stab at that? <laughs> well, why, why, is, why is reading about women's journeys important? Uh, why should we read some of these essays? First of all, I do always, I do always struggle with that question because, of course, I, there are plenty of male travel writers that I love is writing I love mm-hmm. and and I've been influenced by many of them but I will say that <clears throat> the first time I think the first travel book I read by a female author was um, West with the Night by Barbara Markham and it really it had a huge effect on me and I think that it was just the representation of a woman doing out there doing what, you know, historically all these male explorers had been doing. I mean, travel writing has always been, not always, but historically it's, it's largely been a man's world. Mm -hmm. If you look at the uh, mastheads of, of, excuse me, of glossy magazines, or you mentioned the best American series. I mean, Usually, usually it's it's mostly male authors, and um, it's always been a man's world. And so, I guess what I would say is that is that it's inspiring for women travelers to see representation, and that it happened. It started these these uh, best women's anthologies started because travelers' tales began publishing collections back in the early 90s. And at that time, women were really, really underrepresented in travel writing. But they were receiving three or four times the submissions from women as they were from men. Hmm. And so there was all this overflow and they wanted to put out an anthology and published some of this great travel writing. And so they did so. And they were really popular because there are, it turns out, a lot of women travelers (laughs) and women who enjoy reading and writing about travel. So 
Yeah. And so that's, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but I do also think that there's something kind of special about women authored stories. I think that there's more, I would say, and again, I want, I want to preface this by saying that I do have a lot of male authors that I like, but I think there's just a, a bit more vulnerability perhaps, um, in these stories than I often see mm. in men's travel writing. And now I'm, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, right? And, and you do answer <laughs> the question and, um, you know, I'm asking these questions not because I don't believe them, but just, I don't know, just to prod uh, a little bit, but you said that it's inspiring for women travelers to read these stories, but what about men? Why might it be important for men travelers to read these stories of, of women's experiences? Good question. I love that question. It is. I, I think it I think it is important. I mean, I I have some male friends who have read these anthologies and said, oh, I enjoyed these so much more <laughs> than um, than other stories because they you know, they got more personal and I felt like I knew the author better. And, you know, I, I mean, I think it's important for men to read about women, of course, because we are important (laughs) women. And it's just like, you know, my son, my, my five-year-old, I make sure that he reads a lot of books in which there are female protagonists because I don't want him to grow up thinking that it's only men who can climb Mount Kilimanjaro as one of the women in the anthology does or spend two weeks surviving, you know, a polar school in the Arctic, like one of the women in this anthology does. I want him to know that women are, are just as badass as men. Can mm-hmm. I, can I swear? Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's satisfying. Um, a few weeks ago, Mira Datani, she's a British travel writer. She hosted a, a round table, um, with some other uh, British travel writers on decolonizing travel writing. And one of the speakers, uh, she's an author, New Sara Wiwa, said something to the effect of, um, you know, how the experience of travel is different, you know, for each individual, of course, but also uh, for each group of individuals. And like, I understood that point before, but the way in which she articulated you know, re- resonated to me. It made a lot of sense that groups of people experience the world differently. And, you know, it's important for for people outside of those groups to, uh, you know, understand what the nature of their experience is like. And, and I absolutely agree with that. Travel writing, I think, does that. Uh, fiction can do that, of course. But, you know, in travel writing, there's that presumption of truth, you know, that we believe that the story is true, hopefully most of it is true. Um, and that way it, 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 it resonates a little bit. It hits a little bit harder, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I do think that women experience travel differently than men do. Um, and that it's just, it's, I think it's interesting and illuminating and edifying to read the accounts of women alongside all the classic books by men, by male travelers. And, uh, 
And so, yeah, I think I think that Traveler's Tales has really done a great thing by giving these outlets uh, to female travel writers in a world with too few publishing opportunities for them. Mm-hmm. Now that you bring that up, how how does for for the women travel writers listening, like how does one sub- submit an essay to this collection? Is there a call that goes out, or uh, is there like a list? Like how do how do they submit? There is, there is a call that goes out, but we read for the series and for all of the anthologies all year round, so people can submit to travelerstalesstories.com. dot com, and you can submit there. They also host a contest every year, the Solace Awards. But Traveler's Tales puts out uh, the best women's travel writing, the best travel writing. They usually do a humor anthology every few years. And uh, it is, it's a, I don't know, I've seen a lot of great travel writers get their start with Traveler's Tales. Just a quick note and we'll get right back to the episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app or consider supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com slash support. Thank you. So you, you wrote in the intro about the need to get lost. And you know I think this is a need that a lot of us are, are feeling lately, uh, recently. And uh, I was just curious if you could can unpack that a little bit. Perhaps why is it important for us to to get lost? Do you mean in traveling or yeah, yeah, and in, in, in yeah. traveling and in other people's travels too, and in, in reading about other people's adventures? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always get lost, uh, not on purpose. <laughs> I have no sense of direction. And it's funny because people say, how are you a travel writer? And you get lost all the time. But some of my greatest breakthroughs, my best stories, my moments of deepest connection, um, and probably my the times I've felt most strong and independent have come because of being lost. It's, I just think it's really, it's important to let yourself get lost and surrender control when you're traveling. When we find ourselves lost, we can connect more deeply to the place. Um, And I think it's just that we're stop. you know, we're not trying to steer and instead we're sort of letting ourselves be pulled into a place or pulled to understanding. It's sort of, to me, akin to what happens when you stop talking long enough to listen. We learn more from a place if we let ourselves get lost in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, you know, and it reminds me a lot of your um, your book that we mentioned earlier, Writing Away, a Creative Guide to Awakening the Journal Writing Traveler. It seems that, you know, this is... Um, you know, the practice of, of getting lost opens someone up to experience, but also like, you know, wonder and, and reflection in, in a way that journaling or writing about an experience that's not like a chronology of the day's events, but just an exploration of the self um, is, is, is a form of getting lost, too. Does that does that make sense at all? I think so. Absolutely. I think that that's 
again, it's just sort of that surrender to the moment and to what is happening instead of trying to control the narrative, trying to make a place be something that it isn't. I, I guess for me getting lost when I have that moment where I realize, oh, I'm lost. I mean, unless I'm you know, racing to be somewhere that I have to be, I always feel this glimmer of this enlivening happen. Like, oh, this is the moment. Here I am. I'm lost. I'm going to have to rely on the kindness of strangers. I mean, there's always GPS, but to me, getting lost is really more about meandering too. And, and that is in terms of journaling, it is similar. You know, I'm, I have been a Buddhist for 16 years, so I have a relationship with meditation and stillness and sort of observing the mind. And I think that journaling is, is sort of a cross between, I guess, that, that sort of meditation and stillness and meandering, letting yourself, letting your thoughts flow. And it's a kind of a beautiful combination. Mm. That's nice. You mentioned uh, getting uh, GPS and, and getting lost, <laughs> which is funny <laughs> because you mentioned this in, in the um, in the introduction to uh, your uh, anthology. I was wondering if you could perhaps read a, a little uh, passage from from that for us. Sure, sure, I'd love to. I'll read um, from the beginning. Last year, I spent a week in Fez, Morocco teaching a writing workshop. It was my second visit to the city and I stayed in the old walled Medina. A UNESCO World Heritage Site, Fez El Bali, is a maze of more than 9,000 narrow winding pedestrian streets filled with homes, schools, mosques, restaurants, hammams, bathhouses, riads, guest houses, and souks, markets. The Medina was a clogged, chaotic blur an ever-swirling kaleidoscope of color and sound and scent. And while mesmerized, I tried hard to keep my bearings. I didn't stand a chance. I got lost every two minutes. Anytime I unbolted the heavy door of my Riyadh and stepped outside or exited a cafe or craned my neck to gaze at a thin bookmark of blue sky above the peeling paint of an orange wall. I got lost because the Medina's serpentine byways are mostly unnamed, and because I had no cell service and thus no GPS and neglected to orient myself by obvious landmarks. And because the meticulously detailed map my Riyadh host annotated and explained 13 times looked more to me like a brain than a map. It didn't help that I have a poor sense of direction. Wherever I go in the world, I become at least temporarily misplaced. Still, the version of disorientation handed to me in Fez was extreme and multiplied by the men who materialized whenever I looked confused, again, every two minutes, to insist I was heading the wrong way down a dead-end street and needed to follow them. I'd been warned about these false guides who pretended to show tourists to their hotels, but steered them instead to their shops. And I knew how to respond. La shukran, I'd say firmly, no thank you. Then quicken my pace perhaps turning a corner with confidence and wind up even farther off course, at which point they'd request payment for their services. 
And finally, I received some advice. Let yourself get lost, a friend said. You're supposed to get lost. And when I no longer wish to be lost, ask a woman for directions. Women won't steer you wrong. In the days that followed, I surrendered surrendered to the labyrinth, turning this way and that, wholly absorbed. I meandered through shops stocked with dainty glass teacups, ankle-length halabas, traditional robes, silver teapots, and tall, tidy cones of saffron and cinnamon. I admired brass lamps the size of beach umbrellas and touched the soft leather of purses dyed pepto-pink and parakeet green. I watched craftsmen weave linens on giant hand-operated wooden looms, ate chabakia, sesame honey rosewater cookies, and held mint to my nose at the phenomenally pungent 11th century chuara tannery. I whispered Buddhist prayers for caged chickens, live snails, and a camel head hanging from a hook. Then, when I tired of being directionless, I asked a woman for directions. And somehow, with women pointing the way, the way felt more familiar. Yeah, it's great that that last line in the in the line earlier, "Women won't steer you wrong." You know, I underlined and I highlighted that's a very poignant point in, in the story, and I think that you know summarizes very well what we've talked about, and you know, the power and the purpose of uh, an anthology like this. Yeah, and I had planned to write my introduction about celebrating my 50th birthday in Colombia with my best friend, but my 50th birthday was in March when the pandemic was just starting. And so instead of spending my 50th birthday in Colombia, I spent it in my backyard having dinner with my husband and my son, which was nice, but I wasn't going to be able to write my introduction about that. So instead, I sort of ended up writing about the pandemic and and tying together my experience of letting women lead me with how I am sort of learning to survive this time by looking toward women as guides. Mm-hmm in the company and under the tutelage of, of great women and great women writers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I don't know, I, I found myself really leaning on women friends during, um, during the beginning stages of the pandemic. And I found myself, you know, reading a lot of, anti-racism work by black women. And I, I just feel like women have really helped me through this time. And, and also, you know, surrounded by 1300 essays by women that has helped me as well. And so, so yeah, I, I stand by that. Women won't steer you wrong, generally speaking. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a show of, of force, right? A show of solidarity to have, uh, as you know, like such a outpouring of, of uh, essays and submissions for this volume. Uh, you set a record amount you know, from, I don't know, to 1,300, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, and I chose 34. <laughs> so, and it's, that was really, that was not an easy process. What what is what is that process like? Can you give us a glimpse behind that curtain? Sure, sure. So, um, 
So there's a database and I start going through it and reading. And as I said before, I just sort of look for what stories I fall in love with. Um, I look for great writing and a story that pulls me in. I want to be moved. I want to learn something. I like an essay that illuminates a place at a, at a moment in time. And then I start putting the stories into yes, no, and maybe piles. And pretty soon, I this time I ended up with, gosh, I feel like I had 300 stories, maybe 300 stories between my yes and maybe pile. And so then it was just a matter of whittling those down and saying, okay, this Ireland story or this Ireland story or this Ireland story. And, um, and this story about a relationship with a mom or this story, this divorce story or that divorce story. Cause a lot of, you know, a lot of these stories are really personal and sometimes I get very pulled in by the story, but then I realize that the writing of another story is maybe more compelling. It's, it's definitely, as we said before, it's a balance. Mm-hmm. And some of these uh, personal stories that you mentioned, to what extent um, are they self-consciously travel stories or something else, like a personal essay with uh, a travel component? Or does the travel uh, component come more to the foreground and you know the sense of place and that experience comes trickling up a little bit more forcefully than the personal component like i'm not articulating the question very well but what is the balance between personal discovery and exploration and physical uh it's a it's definitely a mix um i would say that some essays are much more about the place and some essays are more about the author's interaction with that place and sort of the person they became in that place. I, I think that overall they're literary travel essays with a strong sense of place, but there are a few essays that I chose for this collection that are more about the place than the person. Like I have a really beautiful essay about Petra by Susan Orlean, the great Susan Mm. Orlean. And it's not, it's not a personal essay. But I learned so much about Petra, and it's just fascinating, the angle. Um, and there's, uh, yeah, there are a few essays in there that are more about the place, but it's always sort of a how the author interacted with that place. And there's a lot of honesty in these essays. They're definitely personal, as I said. And, and so sometimes it's, for example, there's, there's an essay about a woman who goes to Mexico post-divorce and she's sort of unpacking all her own issues. And, and there's a story, there's a really neat story about a woman and her partner who are traveling across uh, two continents by foot. They're walking from Bangkok to Barcelona. And so the story takes place in, Azerbaijan, which is not a country we read about a lot, but um, the the story is really sort of sort of about her confronting her own feelings of privilege and 
I don't know. It's, you know, it's not always pretty what the authors come across in these stories, but I feel like there's a lot of honesty and I, I love seeing how the place sort of shapes their experience. And, and if the story is structured well, then I guess that it, it, sometimes it almost reads like fiction, but it, it's, it's really, it's memoir is the, is the genre, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, 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 the grant, uh, the great debate, right. Of uh, Paul Fussell writes that, um, travel writing is just, uh, he says a subspecies of, of memoir. And, and, I, uh, I kind of get that, but I, I, I don't know, like there's something about travel, uh, literature, travel books, travel writing that, yeah, it's a memoir, but there's, uh, you know, something else, a component of the internal, right, that we get with a me- memoir, but, you know, the interaction with the external or the outer world that makes it, you know, infinitely more, in my opinion, enriching and rewarding and exploratory. Right. I mean, I, I like, I, I want always to learn something about the place and about the people who come from that place. And I don't want to only know about the writer's impression. I want to hear from a local's voice as well. I like, I like it when there are quotes. I want to know that the writer has done some work, some real research, and that she wants to illuminate us about what's important about the place and why it's somewhere that we should care about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so a lot of the a lot of the submissions I get are just really memoiristic and others are not at all. And so I do try to have a mix. Um, but, but yeah, I would say in the end, it's, it's sort of a, it's literary travel essay. It's a personal exploration of place. That's good. Well, um, we're kind of running short of time here and I was wondering if you could, you know, let us know where uh, we can bother you online so we can email you our travel stories for future volumes. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so my website is just LaviniaSpalding.com and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not on Twitter much. Um, I mean, I have a Twitter account, but yeah, Facebook is a good place. My website has my email address. Okay, we'll put all those links in the show notes so to make it easy for, for people to contact you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the, on the show. I hope everybody goes out and uh, reads uh, this book. Thank you so much for having me today. You can find the episode show notes and much more at TravelWritingWorld.com. Please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at TravelWritingWorld.com support.